Hi, welcome to the Lakeside Church Weekend Messages podcast. My name is Jacob. I'm a creative arts protege here at Lakeside, and I'm super excited that you're listening with us. If this is your first time listening, I want to say a special welcome, and I'm just so glad that you're here. If you're looking to get connected with us, I would love to direct you to our website, lakesidechurch.com, and to our Facebook and Instagram page. Those are the best places to learn about what kind of groups you can get connected with and see how Lakeside is engaging with our community. I would also love to invite you to Lakeside Outside, which has been a really cool opportunity for us to begin meeting again as the church outdoors on our campus. That happens at 9 a.m. every Sunday, and if you aren't quite ready to join us in person yet, we live stream those gatherings on our website and on our Facebook page. Enjoy the message. Hey, so for those of you guys who don't know me, my name's Doug, and I have been the high school student ministries pastor here at Lakeside for the past 13 years, which is pretty awesome. I mean, I was just, I'm on this like journey of reflecting over those past years, and my wife and I, we got married in 2007, and a few months later, I started working here, and for the past 13 years, I've had the awesome opportunity of getting to work with students here. And so something that's been developing in my life is um, a transition has been happening for me where I'm actually stepping off staff and pursuing becoming a high school teacher in our local high schools. And so it's a big change. It's one of those changes. And if you've gone through something like this, it comes with it's so bittersweet, right? Because what you've done, you love. And what you're going to do, you're going to love. And it comes with just so many different emotions. And if you've ever done a career change, you know what I'm, know what I'm talking about. So one of the things that I'm doing right now is I'm on a mission to meet with as many teachers as I can to try to learn from them what it's like to be a high school teacher. I mean, I have worked with students for a long time, but I'm on, I'm on this journey. Like, what does it mean to, though, be in a classroom leading a class of high school students, teaching English. I mean, what does this mean? And I'm excited to teach. And one of the things I'm also excited about is to coach. Like, I love coaching. For the past um, a few years ago, I had a stint about four years of coaching at a local high school. And um, I was coaching uh, up at Vista. I was coaching one of the, the football levels there. And um, any coaches in the room? Anybody coach or an out in the hillside lawn? Yeah. Coaching is one of the... Um, it's one of my passions, one of the things that I love. I was meeting with one of my friends, a guy named Don, and he made this comment, and I just, I never thought about it this way. He said, you know, Doug, in high school, one of the most well-taught subjects is football. Do you know that? And I was like, really? One of the most well-taught subjects? But then I got to think about it. I was like, man, that really is true. I mean, if you think about it, a high school coach has to get a bunch of guys, a bunch of players to come together believe in each other, commit to each other, come out every day after school and practice for hours, practice for hours. And then every week they have to go out on Friday night and perform and win. And teams that win, programs that have a, a history of winning, that doesn't happen by accident. I mean, that is, takes intention, it takes good coaching, it takes a plan. And what I've discovered as a coach, one of the things that's so important is constantly bringing your players back to the fundamentals. The fundamentals is everything. And sometimes we think the fundamentals are like the basics. It's something that you do when you're a beginner and then you move on from that, but that's not true. Any coach of any team, whether it be football, basketball, any sport, has to keep bringing his or her players back 
to the fundamentals. And the good teams are excellent at doing the fundamentals. Now in football, the fundamentals are blocking and tackling. It's blocking and tackling. If your offense cannot block, you will not get yards, you will not get first downs, and you won't score touchdowns, and you won't win games. Likewise, if, you're, if your defense can't stop the ball carrier, can't fill in gaps, can't wrap up, can't take guys to the ground, you will not be able to stop them, and you won't win games. The fundamentals are everything, and you never outgrow them. You never outgrow them. Today, what we're going to do is we're going to be looking at a passage of Scripture that I feel is one of the fundamental passage, passages of scriptures. It's, it's like the core of Christianity is what we're going to look at today. And so if you guys have your Bibles, we're going to be in John chapter 15. And if you also have the YouVersion app, you can, you can go on to there. I have some notes there for you, and you can, guys can follow along. But John chapter 15. And the fundamentals are one of those things you never outgrow. You always need it's not just for baby Christians, it's for all Christians. And I think especially in the crazy times we live in right now, because we have some crazy times, amen? Pretty wild. Now is the time. It is so important to go back to those fundamentals. What is the core of our faith? What does it mean to follow Jesus? What is at its center? And that's what we're going to talk about today in John chapter 15. John chapter 15, and, and what, we're, what we've been doing, we're in a series right now called What If He Is, and we've been looking at the I Am statements from the book of John, and today we're bumping into the last of the seven I Am statements, and some of you guys might have heard this one before. It's a very famous I Am statement, and it's in John chapter 15. In a little context behind this, John chapter 15, Jesus had just left the upper room. He had spent time there with his disciples, the foot washing, the uh, Passover meal was shared, and he's leaving the upper room, and probably he's walking near the temple, and he's looking up at the temple, and he's with his disciples, and this is what he says to his disciples. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. It's a profound statement. Jesus looks at them. He probably points up at some of the vines and some of the agricultural art on the wall of the temple. And he says, you know what, guys? I am the true vine. And my father is the gardener. And when we hear that, we're kind of like, oh, that's kind of an interesting thing to say. But for those disciples, those disciples who grew up reading their Hebrew Bibles, Jesus said something that was very loaded. In fact, I would say that true, when he says, I am the true vine, imagine that as like a growing, a glowing blue hyperlink that you can click on. Have you ever done this? Have you ever watched a movie and then you're, you're noticing the actor and you're like, oh, whatever happened to that guy? And you kind of Google him and you look on their Wikipedia page and then you find out that he was married to this woman and they had a daughter and she became a marine biologist. And before you know it, you're reading about the migratory patterns of walruses in Alaska. Have you ever done this? Like it just takes you down the, the hyperlink rabbit hole? Yeah. This is the way the Bible works. This is definitely the way John works, is every word counts. And the storyteller is telling us words, he's giving us phrases that is meant to connect to so much history. Because in the Old Testament, this idea of the vine was spoken about often. In fact, Israel was considered the vine. 
But whenever Israel is talked about as the vine, it's talked about in a derogatory term. In Psalm 80, it says, um, Israel is a vine out of Egypt that took root and filled the land, but now is cut down and burned with fire. Isaiah says that Israel is the vine that yields only bad fruit. Jeremiah says that Israel is a corrupt wild vine, and Ezekiel refers to the people living in Jerusalem as a charred and useless vine. In the Old Testament, whenever Israel is talked about it as a vine, it's talked about in a way as corruption, off-purpose, far from God, and running wild. And drawing upon that history, Jesus looks at these disciples and said, you know what, guys? I am the true vine. I am what Israel was always meant to be. I am the true Israelite. I am the true vine. And he adds another layer. He says, not only am I the true vine, but I am at my father is the gardener, the good gardener. And then John chapter 15, verse two, he says, Jesus speaks, he says, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You, speaking to his disciples, are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into fire and burned. Jesus introduces this metaphor and it's so profound. He says, and I love this about Jesus. Jesus always makes it simple. He always makes it simple. Like he says, you know, I'm the, I'm the shepherd, your sheep. Just follow me. I'll take care of you. Trust me. Follow my lead. Listen to my voice. Come with me. It's, it's simple, right? He introduces another simple thing. I mean, the, as much as profound as the book of John is, it's also incredibly simple. I could give the book of John to any high school student in America, and they could probably get the main point that, you know, God loves the world and wants us back connected with him. I mean, it's simple. It's for us. It's very simple. He says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. He introduces this metaphor. He says, you know, any, any, and it's an agricultural society. They knew what this meant. They're like, just like the vine plants itself in the ground. It draws moisture and water and nutrients. It delivers that to all of the branches. Jesus is saying the same life that I have, you have. And that what it means to be my disciple is that you're like a branch on me, the vine. You hook into me. You abide in me. You stay tight with me. And the same life that's in me comes into you. That's what it means to be my disciple. It's a profound, profound metaphor. The same life that he has is the life that we're called to have. But then he introduces another metaphorical figure. He says, I'm not only the vine and you're the branches, but my father is the good, good gardener. He's the good gardener. Anybody garden here? Any gardeners? Anybody like playing in the dirt? Okay, so a few years ago, I had the bright idea of, um, I was at Green Acres, and I found a couple apple trees there. Have you ever seen these? They're a spellier apple trees. 
They have like one main stem and they have branches. Um, Espelier fruit trees is like an ancient art. And I thought it would be kind of a cool idea, like, oh man, these apple trees look good. I'm going to get them. I'm going to plant them in my yard. And the sales pitch with Espelier fruit trees is that it doesn't take much room. You just have to prune them. You have to support them. And they can be even more fruitful than just one tree that's planted out there. And so on the Uversion app, I have a picture of Espelier apple trees. And you can kind of check that out. And then right below that professional picture of what an Espelier tree looks like, I have a picture of my actual tree in my backyard. And so you can you can, I'll let you figure out which one's which. <laughs> Come to find out, pruning fruit trees is not the easiest thing in the world. Amen? Anybody tried this? Like, it's pretty challenging. Like, you have to cut it at the right time. You have to have sharp clippers so you're not making rough cuts. You have to cut branches at an angle so they grow a certain way. You have to make sure branches aren't growing into each other so that there's airflow and there's productivity of fruit. In fact, when it, fruit buds on an apple tree, you actually have to go in and thin out the fruit so that the fruit that is there can be even more fruitful. There's a lot to it. There's a lot to it. And there's also a vision you have to have as a gardener. You have to not only see this season, what I want it to look like this year, but what do I want it to look like next year? What do I want it to look like five years from now, 10 years from now? What is my vision for this plant? And because you love the plant, because you want the best for the plant, because you see the end result for the plant, you lovingly sharpen your clippers and you attack it and you cut it. And you cut it in ways that the plant, that the plant the branch, we the branches, don't understand. I mean, Jesus says we're the branches. We're growing on the vine, and then all of a sudden these steel clippers come on us, and they start cutting off things. And we want to ask, why? Why are you cutting this off? What are you doing? Where are you going? What is the, what is the end result of all of this? Jesus says, my Father and your Heavenly Father is the good gardener. And he lovingly prunes branches. He lovingly prunes us. He does things in our lives to help us stay connected to the vine, help us to stay healthy, and help us to actually produce fruit. So profound. Sometimes as branches, we start to have vine confusion. We start to get confused. We start to think that the vine is no longer Jesus. We start to think the vine is our job. Or we start to think that our, the vine is our kid's success. Or we start to think that the vine is what other people think of me. The vine is my reputation. The vine is my happiness. And because we have the good gardener who looks at you and says, I love you. I want what's best for you. I have a vision for your life. I'm willing to cut this off. I'm willing to do something to you that you don't understand for the greater good and for the overall health of you, the plant. I want to ask you a question. What is God pruning in your life these days? How is God cutting you? And I don't mean that in a way that, like, bad way, but in a way that's with love and is, is designed for your overall health. I mean, this week we're starting online school, Amen. Pretty wild for a lot of high school students. I know, I hear the moans. We are in 
like uncharted waters. You guys all know this. What in this season is God pruning in your life? Is it your hopes and dreams for the fall? Is it, is it what you thought would happen academically for you this year? Is it, is it your career? Is it a job change? I mean, for me, if I can be honest, God is pruning out my church job out of my life. And emotionally, that hurts me. It does. I, I'd be lying if I told you it didn't. But for the greater good of me, the branch, Lakeside, the branch, this is, it's the right thing to do. Despite its pain and despite the change. What is God pruning in your life? There's something else the, uh, the gardener does. He doesn't just prune the live branches, but he actually, the Bible says he cuts off any branch that is dead, any branch that is connected to the vine, like it looks cosmetically that it's attached to the vine, but it has ceased to live. And because it has ceased to live, it needs to be removed for the overall health of the plant. It has a visual connection. It looks connected, but it, is, it doesn't have that vital connection, that connection between the bark where the nutrients is passing back and forth. And therefore, God cuts it. I think when Jesus said this, I think he was talking specifically to people who are known to be culturally religious. Like they go to synagogue, they go to church, they're, they're thought of as religious people, they're thought of as people that, oh man, that person's gotta be so tight with God, like holy cow. Like, and Jesus says that these people that appear to be religious, but I'm telling you, inside it, it's dead. They, are not, they don't have a real connection to me, the vine. And for some of us here today, like, it's not just that God's pruning us, but that sometimes our branches, we're starting to die inside. And for some of you here, you're, you're feeling like you're dying, like that you are cosmetic, like you're here right now, you're online, you go to church, but like inside your connection with the real Jesus is emaciated. It's dying. It's withering. I want to give you this word. Jesus would later say in uh, the book of Revelations, chapter 3, when he's talking to the different churches, he says to this one church named Sardis in Revelations 3, 1, he says, to the angel of the church in Sardis, write this, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die for I found your deeds unfinished in the sight of God. Jesus, again, probably drawing back to this John 15 passage, he says, I've seen you. Everybody thinks you're alive. Everybody thinks you're super cool and super religious, but I'm telling you, it's not the truth. You need to wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die. And for some of you here today, that's what you need to hear. It's time to strengthen what remains. It's time to go back and to start to do the things you did when you first believed. It's time to start having prayer walks again. It's, start to, it's time to start praying with your spouse again. It's time to start doing the things that you did when you first fell in love with Jesus. And get away from all the what's the reputation and what do people think about me and just what matters most. I got to get connected 
to the true vine, the only source of life. Jesus says, he says, apart from me, you're fooling yourself. You can't do anything, nothing. Wow. We're meant to abide. Jesus closes with this in verse 16, and I I love this because he, this is such a passage of hope. He says, in verse 16, he says, you didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. He chose you. He chose me. All of you here. He chose you. And so whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. John would later write in his first epistle, 1 John 4.10, he says, This is love, not that we love God, but that God loved us. God loves you. He's the good gardener. He's not only the good gardener, he's your good father. And he has a vision for you. He has a vision for your life, a vision for your family, a vision for what you could be. And the fundamental, the thing that, the only thing that matters is that we stay tight with him. We stay tight with Jesus. It's always been what matters. It's the only thing. And when we stay tight with him, we bear fruit. We bear fruit. So my challenge this morning, the thing that I want us all to do, what I want me to do, is I want to abide. I want to stay tight. I don't want to be dead. I want that vital connection. I want what is most important to be most important. I want to return to the fundamentals, return to the core, to the center, to the thing that has mattered the most always. May you do the same. May we say yes to abiding, yes to staying tight with him. There was a man named Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He um, was a pastor in uh, England back in the 1800s, and he was a um, pretty famous pastor. He was actually one of the first, uh, people credit him as being one of the first mega church pastors, and um, he had a nickname called the Prince of Preachers, and he used to get up and would preach to hundreds and if not thousands of people without a microphone. Just this big guy, big chested, just could bellow out these sermons. And um, he preached a sermon once, and I want to read you a part of what he says. And he preaches this sermon on June 12, 1887. And he's speaking about when you transition from seeing God as someone who is impersonal, somebody who's mad, somebody who's just out to get you, and when you start to see God as your real, true, heavenly Father that loves you. This is what happens. He says this, While I regarded God as a tyrant, I thought my sin a trifle. But when I knew him to be my father, then I mourned that I could ever have kicked against him. When I thought God was hard, I found it easy to sin. But when I found God so kind, so good, so overflowing with compassion, I smote upon my breast to think that I could have ever rebelled against one who loves me so and sought my good. Guys, may you know that you have a heavenly father that loves you. 
that is, has a vision for your life, has a vision for what you, the branch, will look like when you stay connected to him, and is ready and willing to lead you into the future. May we abide in him. Will you pray with me? Father, this word is, it's so needed, man. It, it's the fundamentals. It's what we, we always need is to stay tight with you, to stay connected to you, to be hooked up with you, and to just be. We live in a world that is obsessed with production, obsessed with uh, leveraging things and people, and the stress and the anxiety and the depression and all the fear that goes with that. God, we just want to know you. We want to stay tight with you. We want to abide in you want to be a church that has a reputation of abiding in you first and foremost. God bless my church family here on the hillside, my church family that's at home right now. And God, may we abide in you. We love you. Amen. Thank you again for listening. I hope that this message was encouraging and inspiring to you. And I hope that you have a great week. Go with God.